At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. This one's a really special one. This is the last of the four live events at the CMPX show. And we're going to talk to three individuals here, three gentlemen that are super passionate about indoor air quality. Indoor air quality has taken a front seat in the last couple of years. I think we all know why. And there's many moving parts. We got ventilation. We got particulate in the air. We got air movement. We have humidity. We got temperature. We're going to throw in aspects like UV lights and air monitoring. Okay, we're going to talk to Kevin Hart from Haven. We're going to talk to Aaron Engel from Fresh Air UV, and we're going to talk to Ed Carney from Kilmer Environmental. And guys, this is a good conversation. I learned a ton during this conversation, and I know you guys will. You got to be passionate about indoor air quality because it it opens up the door to create legitimate business for you guys in your buildings, your customers, your your customers' homes, and customers' buildings. Okay, so let's go on this one. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and as I've been mentioning, they carry the Coleman line, and I signed up to be a dealer. I like the look of it. Basically, it's like a a York condensing unit or York furnace, but with the Coleman name on it, and the Coleman name is pretty household because the Coleman name has been around for a while. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on the product, on the furnace, and air conditioning side. Now, anytime you post about a product, there's always people that are going to jump on the the hate bandwagon. This happens with any equipment, any tool, doesn't matter what it is. But what I'm hearing from the messages that I'm getting from people is is the support is really good on it. And that's what what, what it comes down to. There's going to be problems with every product in the world. It doesn't matter whose name is on it. It's the, the support and the backup on that product that makes it worthwhile. So anyway, check out the Coleman line from Master Group. As I mentioned on the last podcast, Cintas has come aboard as a podcast sponsor. Now, they offer uniforms and uniform programs to HVAC contractors. They have for 90-so years. Now, I've got some samples, and they got this, this stretchy material in their pants and shirt. And as I mentioned on the last show, I bought some jeans. They were labeled stretchy denim or stretch pants or whatever they were called. And they are normal jeans, but they have a stretchy material and makes them really, really comfortable. And the samples that I've tried on, you can feel that stretchiness. So you don't feel tight, you don't feel stiff. So if you're in the market to provide uniforms for your fleet or for your techs, check out Cintas. There's a landing page that you can check on the podcast notes after you're done listening to this. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome. If you guys are just walking by, we're going to have a discussion on indoor air quality. And we have some great guests with us today. We have Kevin Hart, Aaron Engel, and Ed Carney. I'll be your host, Gary McCready. And I'm going to give these gentlemen... 
the, an opportunity to introduce themselves. These guys are involved in the indoor quality space, and you guys are going to learn a lot from them. So I think you guys should sit down and pay attention. Kevin, tell us about yourself. A minute, 30 yeah. seconds. So I'm Kevin Hart. I'm the CEO of Haven, formerly known as ZOA. And we do something called active air management, which is the remote monitoring and control of indoor air quality in people's homes. Um, and so we've been doing that for eight years, looking at the detection of everything from particles, chemicals to temperature, humidity, being able to automate that to have a healthy indoor environment. Awesome. Aaron. Great to be here. Thank you. No problem. I'm a VP business development for Fresh Air UV, manufacturer of full line ultraviolet based technologies for residential commercial, industrial, healthcare, using UVC light to disinfect the air as the air recirculates, obviously, through our buildings. Cool. Ed, Ed Carney, Kilmer Environmental. I'm the president of Kilmer. I've been there for 34 years. Um, we have a bunch of different HVAC products for basically for air quality and um, heating, cooling, but also um, energy recovery, energy saving. Awesome. So let's get to this. And I want to start with you, Kevin. And um, yesterday I had a question. Somebody thought that the comedian Kevin Hart was actually going to be on the podcast. We had to correct that. Anyway, because you're into monitoring the indoor air, I think that's where we should start before we start introducing solutions to fix it. Otherwise, we're just guessing. So what I wanted to ask you is, with your product, where should we start with indoor air before we start throwing solutions at a customer? We got to monitor the air. And how does your product work to do that? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, and indoor air quality, we define as both the health inside of a space, but also as the comfort. The two are interrelated. And so we think about the three pillars of indoor air quality being what, what particles are in the air, so the physical matter, the gases. So, for example, the volatile organic compounds that are in the air that are off-gassing from various materials and the indoor activities we do, such as cleaning and cooking. And so that indoor air quality, the three pillars, filtration, ventilation and humidity control, these are the important parameters that we should be measuring because these things are completely invisible. And so other examples would be radon gas or carbon monoxide. These are poisonous, carcinogenic. These can really damage our health. And so without monitoring these things, we are just guessing. And to a large extent, homeowners don't know what their indoor air quality is. And so it's hard to recommend an improvement when you, you don't know you have a problem. You know, a good example would be like uh, if an Olympic athlete went to a doctor and they had gangrene in their leg and and the doctor looked at them and said, well, listen, I think I can make an improvement here. I could increase your performance by a few seconds, failing to mention that. And by the way, you've got a diseased leg. I mean, this is something that's commonly happening in, in indoor environments is your heating and cooling system may not be performing to its fullest, but there's a whole nother side of things that we're missing that we're already doing in the heating and cooling industry. We're already touching on the filter to protect the equipment. We're looking at the static pressure. We're looking at the airflow. And so maximizing just the common things we're already doing indoors also helps indoor air quality. It helps solve the problem. And measuring that is going to get you paid for something you're already doing today. You're going to be able to recognize the value of the things you're already doing by monitoring and then communicating that you can make these improvements for your customers. Mm -hmm. And I should have asked you this before we started, but define indoor air quality. Like, what is your definition of indoor air quality? 
our, our definition really has come down to those three pillars, the filtration, ventilation, and humidity control. There's a fourth pillar, which is the movement of air. You can't clean the air without moving the air. And this is something that it took us many years to figure this out, but th there is really no way to solve indoor air quality without physically moving the air. And that's why heating and cooling is the best position industry to solve indoor air quality. We can fundamentally design building, design homes to move uh, and displace the air to bring outdoor air inside or to move particles across filters um, to dehumidify. So all the ways that we can clean the air involve moving the air. So one of the pillars of indoor air quality here, you could even think about it like the foundation of how we define indoor air quality is the movement of air itself. You're not going to be able to filter if the air is not moving. And so the three pillars sit above that. That's the filtering, the filtration, ventilation, humidity control, and we really, we've been expanding our definition of indoor air quality, not just to be about health, but also to be about comfort. Those two things are completely interrelated. Yeah, I, I totally agree with about comfort. And I was trying to define it with somebody a few weeks ago. And, and I said to them, my definition of indoor air quality is, is comfort, but the health aspect is really important too. Aaron. Indoor air quality affects us in so many different ways, and it's it's really understanding what is in the air. 40, 50 years ago, we were naturally bringing in fresh outside air to dilute the concentration of those biologicals, those chemicals, those VOCs that are trapped within the envelope of the home and building, and now we're building everything tight. We're not bringing enough fresh outside air to improve that air quality. Yeah. Uh, essentially, we're, we might as well put a plastic bag over our head and breathe that same air over and over again, and that's why studies show that the air inside of our homes and buildings are up to 100 times more polluted than outside. So it is a huge issue. So indoor air quality, much to uh, Kevin's point, as far as the pillars are concerned, uh, has such a, a negative effect on the occupant's well-being because it is being so severely influenced by those trapped contaminants. So this includes particulates, uh, bacteria, viruses, mold, odors, and VOCs. We like to look at IAQ as, as a chart where if you took a look at the contaminants that we breathe, 35% would be particulates and the other 65 would be those biologicals, chemicals and VOCs. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's affecting us. So one of the goals for, for us at, at Fresh Air UV is to implement strategies to supplement that 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 issue and, and bring technology that complement filtration to address the other two thirds. Cool. Okay. Um, Ed, I'd like you to get your definition on indoor air quality. I don't think I can... Um disagree with anything these gentlemen said. They, they said it very well with what IAQ is, but I want to start with a number, which is 95%. Uh, that's the amount of the average amount of time that humans spend indoors. And when you think about that number, um, it's surprising to me and I'd say us that, you know, we don't do more measures to uh, take care of the people in indoors. So I tend to get involved in the equipment side of things, which is the um, you know, when it, when it gets uh, measured and, uh, you know, sterilization aspects as well, um, we're more in the air movement side of it, controlling humidity, controlling temperature, that sort of thing. Filtration as well. Okay. So do you you agree with the comfort and the health thing as being a good definition of indoor air? A hundred percent. And and the uh, the comfort has kind of always been there when you look at the definition of air conditioning, right? But but now the, the health is, has especially in the last two years, has really come to the forefront uh, as a major, major issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, a word that starts with C that kind of maybe pushed that a little bit. Perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Aaron, UV lights, there's always this 
concern with UV lights. And, and I remember when I was starting to take a deeper dive into UV lights, there's the concern about ozone. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about what ozone, if, if ozone is present, what it, what it might be able to do to a person health-wise and how a product like yours, because you're telling me that you have a um, ozone-free product. Yeah, yeah, that's very important to, uh, to us at Fresher EVs to understand that our products are non-ozone generating. Uh, ozone is produced by the frequency of UV light. In, uh, in Fresher EV systems, we are using the 254 nanometer UVC light that is non-ozone producing, effective at neutralizing microorganisms. A, uh, a, 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 a shorter wave, 185 nanometer UV, does produce ozone as a byproduct. So when you're looking at UV technologies and trying to understand what is the right practice and strategy for you and your customer, it's very important to understand what is the frequency of light, what is the nanometers you are you are using. So we um, very much promote the 254 nanometer non-ozone, and, and we went so far as to achieve our UL2998 validation for zero ozone emitting products. And, and you don't want to produce ozone. Ozone at one time was... Uh, widely accepted, uh, but now it is well understood that ozone is uh, is an irritant. It causes issues, uh, all types of issues for occupants, health and well-being. So now you do not want to introduce ozone into the living and breathing space. Uh, California Air Resource Board is very uh, is a strong opponent to ozone. Health Canada, EPA, the ASHRAE, the list goes on and on. So uh, we uh, we make it a point to uh, stay away from from uh, from ozone technologies. Cool. Okay. So, Kevin, I want to ask you about PM 2.5 in a minute, but we've been talking about VOCs and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that can help with all of that is ventilation. And you have, you've got some knowledge on ventilation that you can share how we can use ventilation of a home or a building to minimize things like CO2 and VOCs in, in the building. So yeah. how, how can ventilation help with them? A hundred percent. Um, you know, especially in the last, uh, 40 years or so, buildings have gotten so much tighter. Um, you know, for, for energy requirements, you, you, you tighten up the building so much that all of a sudden the air in there is, is as you guys said, is, could be a hundred times worse than it is outside. And, uh, ventilation is, is obviously, it's not always an easy thing to do because you don't, you know, some of the old schools, for example, don't have ventilation. They have baseboard heat and suddenly that became a big problem. So when you bring in, Outside air, absolutely, it's a benefit. It helps flush the contaminants and, uh, you know, people need the oxygen to breathe, et cetera. But we got to keep in mind as HVAC professionals that that brings big loads. You know, it, it brings a heating load. It brings a cooling load. It brings, in the summer, brings a humidity load. And in the winter, a dehumidification load. Mm -hmm. Okay, so coming back to you, Kevin, on PM2. 2.5. We, we got to move the air, like you said, to clean it. And PM 2.5, your device measures that, and that's particulate matter in the air. And I didn't even hear the term PM 2.5 until I met you guys, and, and, I, and I put one in my house, and I, I started measuring it. So can you explain to people what PM 2.5 means as far as the particulate matter? Yeah, yeah. So the particulate matter, these are the particulates in the air, the particles, the physical matter in the air, and it's floating around all around us right now and they can be in different size ranges. And the reason that the size matters is because the larger they are, uh, they're not gonna be able to get into our lungs, into our bloodstream and around our body and affect all of the organs in the body. And so those very big particles, they could be things like pollen that get stuck in your nose and create allergic reactions. 
when you get below 10 microns, if you think about like a micrometer, this is smaller than a, a hair. If you think about the diameter of a hair, this is much smaller than that. So anything less than 10 microns and you get into this range of two and a half microns, that's been shown to be the size, the aer aerodynamic diameter of the particle that can actually escape the cilia, escape your nose, escape around the bend down into uh, your alveoli, into your lungs and actually do damage. So some of it is that it, it, there's scar tissue that, that can happen that can occur in your lungs from breathing this in. And these often are gonna be combustive particles. The way they got that small is because either there's combustion happening like cooking or a vehicle exhaust or a power plant um, or a forest fire. And so these are very small particles. When you get into less than one micron or what they call submicron particles or nanometer particles, now these are so small that they can actually cross the, the blood barrier in your lungs, in your alveoli, uh, get into your bloodstream and, and do damage around your whole body. They've even found some of the particulates, the very small ones in people's brains and passing into the fetus. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, so PM 2.5 is kind of the particle region. It's actually any particle smaller than two and a half microns. So that's PM 2.5, those are the dangerous ones. And we don't talk about PM 1 or submicron as much as we should. Part of the reason is it's hard to measure. Just actually the instrumentation today, it's, it's too expensive to measure below one micron. Gotcha. Okay, so odors in, in, a, in a building. And we talked about this yesterday or the day before, Aaron, and you were showing me on your device. Um, we all, we, we've all heard about activated carbon, but you have a, an, an activated... Um, uh, carbon activated catalyst. Did I say that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So how does, how does that work to help with odors within a building? So as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, ozone is used primarily for odor okay. control and we do not want to produce ozone, but how do we address odors and VOCs within the envelope of a home or building? So we developed what we call APCO uh, about 12 years ago. And APCO is an activated carbon catalyst that's actually infused with titanium dioxide. And the process uh, really is it's, it's, it's a catalyst where the odor and VOC is captured indefinitely into the carbon, where the UV light reacts with the titanium dioxide, causing this photocatalytic reaction, breaking down those uh, odors and VOCs, releasing it as CO2 and H2O. So it's a very innovative uh, method to address odors and VOCs uh, without producing any dangerous byproducts in doing so. So our APCO X, uh, our product that is uh, by far our most popular on the residential side of our, of our business, uh, does incorporate this Evercarbon catalyst uh, in working in conjunction with the UVC light. Uh, so when we talk about the pie chart, looking at the different contaminants that affect you and I, those particles are addressed by the system filter, but the other remaining 65%, the, uh, the bacteria, viruses, mold, odors, VOCs, and so forth are addressed by the UVC and the carbon catalyst. And and the interesting part you were also mentioning is that it's a lifetime. Yeah, so... It, the, you don't need to change it out. Yeah, typical carbon uh, does uh, saturate, just yeah. like a sponge would saturate with water. Because of the titanium-infused uh, carbon, the, uh, the UV reaction with the titanium dioxide would cause those captured VOCs to release itself as CO2 and H2O, essentially regenerating carbon. Very cool. That's that's Could, it's, it's 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 very interesting to, to to come to these shows and see all this stuff and, and the technology. It just blows my mind. Could uh, could I plug UV real quick? Is that okay, Aaron? Absolutely. 
So actually, we're here in Canada, in, in Toronto, University of Toronto. One of the top professors on indoor air quality and heating and cooling, Dr. Jeffrey Siegel, is based right here. I think he talked yesterday. And one of the key things he found is that almost every single heating and cooling system, the filtration, has leakage that goes around the filter. Yeah. And if you don't properly seal that filter and have a gasket around it, there are going to be contaminants that get onto the coil in an air conditioning system, and that will start to grow biological contaminants. A UV bulb that goes into that coil is going to disinfect, kill, and keep that coil clean, which is both good for indoor air quality, but it's also good for keeping low static pressure, keeping the air conditioning running effectively. So it's just another example of where your comfort, your heating and cooling system and indoor air quality all intersect. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that. I've, I've actually seen images. Somebody sent me an image of um, one of your products in, in, a, in a duct system and the install was like five years old and they took a picture of the coil in the pan. It was absolutely spotless, like completely spotless. There was no mold growth. There was no, um, there was no uh, particulate on the coil that you could see anyway with, with your eyes. It looks super clean. Thank you. That, that really the conversations we've been having certainly over the last six months or so is trying to get the conversation back to the fundamentals. We've all been so concerned about COVID and all the conversations we've been having is really neutralizing airborne microorganisms. We've all become our own little experts in uh, infection control, where the truth of the matter is that if the HVAC system itself, the coil is not healthy, is fouled as biological growth that is being introduced into the living and breathing space mm -hmm. and it's negatively affecting us. Mm -hmm. So although it's great to talk about airborne neutralization, uh, to Kevin's point, um, addressing the health and well-being of the coil of the drain pan, making sure it's not um, introducing contaminants at the same time running efficiently by addressing that biofilm, then you're really not only improving air quality at that point, but also improving the efficiency of the equipment. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So, Ed, you mentioned earlier how ventilation adds load to a, to, to a building. Um, and, and one of those loads is a in form of moisture um, that we need to get rid of. And a lot of times in the summer, uh, your AC might shut down when the sun kind of goes behind the when it starts to set and you don't have that sensible load anymore. And the, the thermostat, it clicks off, but you still have a, a latent load, especially in the summer and in humid climates. And how do we how do we deal with these latent loads that are still lingering around after the AC shuts down? What, what are some ways we can tackle that? It's a great question, and and it is a challenge because you know we we put these uh, AC systems in, uh, which are cooling only devices, and as you rightly said, there's a component of those coils that do sensible, which is your just you know, regular temperature drop, and then there's the latent, which is removing moisture. You know, the the drain pan coming off your your DX coil, but. If you, as you've said, uh, continually, uh, if you're if you're running the compressor to cycle on temperature only, you're not addressing the humidity. So you're right on on the very hot, sticky days, you can have a system, especially one that's oversized. By the way, if it's shutting off quickly because it's satisfying air temperature, it's not taking care of humidity. So what are the challenges? Well, you know to to do humidity control with that same system when there's no call for cooling, technically you need some form of reheat. So in a house, you don't really have a lot of reheat other than, you know, the actual solar gain or whatever type of gain. So you need some kind of reheat device, which goes after your DX coil, which could be a hot gas reheat coil or a hot water coil um, to do the, the heating. The other way you can do it for a house is just to buy one of those portable dehumidifiers. And what they do is they have a built-in reheat 
they just operate on humidity. They don't care about the temperature. They'll reject the heat back into the space. So then on the flip side, in the wintertime, we, we have dry conditions. Um, and we were talking before we, we turned the mics on about the optimal percent RH that we should be having inside of a building and how um, now if it gets super cold outside, for instance, and our windows are not very well built, um, if our humidity is still high and that cold window, we can have condensation on the window. So how, how do we deal with heat dry situations in the winter and without this condensation happening? No, it's a great question. And, and it's a question we get asked a lot over the years. Um, we handle Condair, which used to be called Nortec humidifiers. And uh, of course, everybody wants a humidifier in their house and the optimal range. There's lots of Lots of research on this, especially in the last two years, has come to light that 40 to 60% RH is the optimum uh, zone where you want to be. And as you guys have said before, um, that range is there because it's been shown that our bodies are, are better able to defend what's in the air when it's 40 to 60% with the cilia and the lubrication in your eyes and things like that. Um, but Get where we're going with that. If I, if I could, I just got off a dual podcast conversation. I say dual because it's going to go out on my podcast and Bill Spohn's podcast, which is the Building Science Podcast. And what a great guy! I've never actually sat down and talked to Bill before. And what a great, knowledgeable guy! Very curious. He just, just very good to have a conversation with. And he's the owner of True Tech Tools. So if you guys don't know, we have a promo code at True Tech. It is 8% off with the promo code. And that promo code is know-it-all. It'll save you 8% off your purchases. There's some things discluded from that. But most of the things in store, you get to save 8% with. Now, Testo, guys, using... I, we just talked to uh, a bunch of techs with Trevor Matthews on his training program the other night. I think there was over 100 techs on there at first when we first started up. And at the end, we were talking about tools. And I said, if you guys are going to splurge on digital tools, go and you can only afford one at the moment, go with the probes, digital probes. Testo's got some digital probes, smart probes, the ones that I use because they are very good for service calls, maintenances, uh, diagnostics and stuff. I use them probably 90% of the time when I'm using digital tools as the probes. So check out the Testo smart probes. Navac, what can I say? Their vacuum pumps, the innovation in the battery pump, the innovation in the in the recovery machines. It's called a recovery machine, guys, not a reclaimer, just so you know. It's a recovery machine. So check out the Navac stuff. This stuff is all sold at True Tech Tools as well. So Company Cam, guys. Company Cam lets you organize all of your images for a job site, all of your voice memos, all of your, uh, your notes, anything that you have that pertains to one job goes in one place. And anybody involved in that job present or future can go back to one spot on the, on the app that's labeled that address or that job name or whatever, and look at everything that's happened there instead of asking for emails and text messages and, and so on and so forth. It just helps to get everybody in line and, and, and organized in general, right? JB Warranties, guys, last but not least, is offering a warranty program outside of the manufacturer's warranty. They are paying back the techs that go out and fix these things. And they are, it's quick turnaround time on payment too. And if you, if you put in a claim, the manufacturer's warranty is over, JB warranty takes over, and there's a claim on a heat exchanger, evaporator coil, compressor, whatever it may be, 14-day turnaround time on claims. So you can offer this program to your customers 
for peace of mind. So check out JB Warranties. Yeah, ju- jump in. We we also see that the um, uh, humidity level. So a lot of people are getting sick. It's winter. Um, and w- what is the top recommendation people have? It's drink a lot. You know, have have a lot of soup um, to get healthy. And so having the humidity above, especially in the winter right now, when people are getting sick, having that humidity up is actually going to help you with your recovery. It's going to help you stay hydrated. Um, and so bumping up humidity is really important. Obviously, you don't want to bump it up too much because then you're going to get moisture problems. You're going to get condensation. If the dew point of a surface is cold, you're going to get condensation on that surface, which turns into mold or other airborne uh, contaminants, mi- right. microbial. So that was your question. Where, where I was going with that is 40 to 60 is the optimum range, but you know some facilities can't handle that. And when it's minus 20 outside, uh, as you said, it's psychrometrics. So what dew point means is the combination of temperature and humidity in the air. And if you look at a psychometric chart, you get a matching dew point. Well, that's a temperature at which condensation forms. Windows are the obvious sign of condensation because they're the coldest surface typically in a house. You also get commercial buildings and residential buildings that have, you know, poor job of insulation and you can actually see where condensation forms. Sometimes it's where the wall meets the ceiling or around windows. And when you have condensation forming, well, then you have to you have to back off on your humidity set point. So you may not get that 40% when it's super cold outside. Controls can easily take care of that. You know, you just need an outdoor temperature sensor to, like a boiler system, you know, to bring your humidity set point down a little bit to make it mm-hmm. tolerable. Yeah, okay. Make, makes sense. So, Aaron, I got a question for you. When it comes to UV lights, do we keep the UV light on all the time, 24-7, even when the fan's off? That's a great question. If we're looking at coil disinfection, yeah. air handler disinfection, drain pan disinfection, studies show that the, the moment the UV light is turned off, whatever issue was there would return. Now, again, depending on where you are, you know, if we're up north or down south, humidity plays a huge factor and if the equipment's operational or not, if there's condensation. But for the most part, if we're looking at coil disinfection, surface disinfection within the HVAC system, we recommend having the UV systems on 24-7. When we're looking at airstream disinfection, then yes, uh, it would make sense that the UV lamps would be on when the air is recirculating through the uh, ventilation system. But when we look at our APCOX, the, the unit we talked about with the UVC light and the uh, carbon catalyst, there is that reaction with the ultraviolet and the titanium that cleans out, that essentially regenerates the carbon. Those downtimes when the fan is not running it allows for that reaction to happen faster. So if there's an IAQ event, if let's say you burn some food, there's some chemicals in the air, you had a dinner party, and that carbon might be saturated, that downtime when the fan is not moving allows for that reaction to happen faster. So it is our recommendation, depending on what type of technology you're using, in the case of our APCO, uh, then yes, it would be on 24-7. Okay, good, good point. Uh, Kevin, I wanna ask you a question about optimizing indoor air quality devices you've developed a, a a way to do this with your hardware and your software and you want to explain that a little bit because you have your monitoring system then you have your controller that will depending on what what is happening will actually switch on indoor air quality devices to take care of the the problem right yeah actually aaron just keep me up perfectly because you you do want to move the air and, and also maybe not just for temperature but you want to be able to move uh that clean air into the space and uh, you wanna be able to do that a few times an hour 
at a minimum. And so we say five minutes every 25 minutes, so twice an hour would be a good amount. And that also with our monitor, so we built the only induct monitor. So there's a lot of in-room sensors and those, depending on where you place them, you, for a big home, would need multiple of them. Now where you place them matters because they're going to be detecting what's happening hyper-locally. And then you have to interpret the data from multiple different devices. And so we came up with an approach, which is let's look at the entire home in one location, which is the return plenum. So now we're seeing what's happening across the entire home and we're able to detect that, oh, there is a cleaning event or there is a cooking event. And so we do want more circulation. We want more cleaner happening during those periods of time where there are elevated contaminants and we can detect that. And so a lot of people will come at the approach of, let's do a spot check. Let's come into a home and just check what the air quality is in that moment. That's useful, but it doesn't tell you uh, what the actual conditions are day and night, weekday versus weekend, and seasonal changes. And so you really want something that's there permanently, first of all. Uh, and second of all, if you have the data, data for data sake is great because it's going to inform what sort of solutions you may need. But you actually want to validate that those solutions worked. And you also want to be able to control based on that data. So this is like demand control ventilation and commercial you want to be able to activate the filtration when there's particles and you want to be able to activate the uh, ventilation when there's chemicals in the air um, and the other solutions that are in, in the ducted system, you want to be able to activate them appropriately. Mm-hmm. And so that the controls are a key element. Having smart controls in the home to have the optimal air quality is critical. Mm-hmm. So Ed, I got, I got one more question and I'm going to put this to Ed. Uh, I've had conversations with people recently about humidifying a building and steam versus like a, a, a bypass, like a flow through type humidifier. And I know one costs more than the other and, and, and a lot of people, their budget's low, so they go with the, the cheaper version. But is steam much better at humidifying a home, like a steam generated device rather than the flow through type? Well, it's a, it's a great question. We get asked a lot. Um, steam doesn't care what the humidity level is in your house. It's just going to run according to the set point of your controls. An evaporative type system relies on dry air going across the evaporative media. So the drier the drier and warmer the air coming across, the more evaporation you pick up. So as the humidity starts to get up higher, your performance on that media starts to drop. So you kind of tend to flatline it's better than nothing. You know, for somebody who doesn't have anything, it's better than nothing. But the steam humidifier is going to get you, if it's sized properly, right where you need to go, no matter what. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we're going to see if anybody has any questions for us. Whitney, do you? <laughs> I told you, she's our she's our master question asker. <laughs> um, I'm really uh, interested in adoption of this type of technology. And... How do you get the health outcome data out there and make it compelling enough for people to adopt this? And do you actually ultimately see this information driving higher standards for IAQ in all HVAC equipment in the long run? Can I take that one? That's, that's, we're passionate about that question right there. And uh, humidity has always been there. People know that they need humidification, but it's kind of this invisible thing that sometimes gets value engineered out of a project. But in light of the of the new research, and really it's been around for a while, they're showing the benefits of humidification. And, you know, we're looking for ASHRAE to step up and say, hey, this isn't just we want humidification. You really should have some minimum standard. Right now, there is no 
minimum standard of humidification. So once ASHRAE adopts something like that, then the building codes start to put it in and say, hey, let's, there should be some minimum standard, even if it's not 40%, you know, some amount. You so guys that's wanna, what we're trying to do. Sorry, I, th- I thought you were done. <laughs> do you guys want to tackle that as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're, we're also passionate about data. And for us, first of all, it's let's measure, but then let's communicate that there are problems. And part of what we do is actually education. So once you have a device and you're measuring all these different parameters and you can see that your humidity levels aren't within the range they should be, then we can go on a campaign where it's personal. Now it's personal to that homeowner. And we can say your specific home isn't where it should be. And then we can start educating them on what the benefits would be of getting it into the right range. And so I think a lot of people, it's not personal for them. They don't know that they have the problem. And so they're not willing to go down the educational path. When you do make it personal with the data, I think that's one critical point. But I think the other point here is we do need better uh, research academically on biology, even the molecular biology. And so, for example, there's a way to prove that somebody with asthma using a spirometer and, and ways to measure the actual performance of the lungs, you can measure that through an instrument. And so people who are asthmatic will go to a doctor and, and will have this checked. Um, we need more actual biological ways to test that people could have an improvement from indoor air quality enhancements. That's something that's that's missing. You want to weigh on, on the product side of things, it's uh, it, especially in indoor air quality, uh, it's sometimes the wild, wild west as much as we want yeah. to believe that the, uh, the, the, the contractor the wholesaler contractor and even end user is, is educated, and they are educated more so now than ever before, but there's a lot of unsubstantiated claims. And uh, what we're hoping for, especially with work through ASHRAE, that there will be some sort of baseline on technologies. How effective is a technology? And if they're testing technologies to have uh, like standards and, and understand that if, if you are producing something, then it is being um, captured in the case in point, um, there's a lot of products out there that are producing aggressive oxidizers into the breathing zone. And then this in itself could be a problem. So um, working with ASHRAE, we are developing, uh, I, I'm involved with ASHRAE in a number of committees, and we are working at ways to have some sort of standardized testing where if something is improving the air quality, at the same time you are uh, measuring other possible byproducts as a result. So the more data we have on both the biological side and the performance side, we'll all be better off. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one more question um, because you, you just kind of sparked it, Kevin, when you were talking about personalization. Is it fair to say that sometimes the indoor air quality issues that were it might may affect someone's health, we find out too late. We find out when they're starting to get sick, where we could have personal put a personalized program together for that person or that that home and. And, and dealt with it earlier. Are you seeing any of that? Or are you? Yeah, actually, the thing I'm passionate about beyond indoor air quality is preventative health. Mm-hmm. The thing that frustrates me the most is our entire healthcare system, even in Canada, is meant to be a response to something's already gone wrong. There's yeah. already a symptom. You already have cancer. There's already a disease. And so I, I think indoor air quality is preventative in nature. It is You've got your environment, you've got your diet, you've got your nutrition. There's all these things you can do. Indoor air quality, your indoor environment is something you can do that's preventative. And so one, one of the things we need to just shift our thinking away from, oh, let's, let's wait until it's too late and then do something. 
indoor air quality is something that if we could upgrade IAQ in every building and every home, we would just see less disease. We would just see less issues. There'd be less inflammation in our bodies. And then our bodies would better be able to tackle other things, whether that's diabetes, um, whether that's anything else happening, growing in our bodies. And so I, I do, I'm passionate about the preventative nature of what we do here, everybody on this panel. Um, yeah. Cool. Are you guys, everybody good? You have one, you have another question or are you? When you were talking, Kevin, just now, I was thinking I'm American. And so the healthcare system, they want to move toward more preventative health is the line. But what about IAQ as a medical device that insurers would cover? That's a really yep. interesting, compelling idea to you as, that I thought of as we were speaking. Yeah, insurance should cover this. This should be part of every home. This should be, there should be an analysis of the long-term benefits of reducing the burden of healthcare spending on the government, especially government that pays for the healthcare system. It's cheaper to put IAQ in every home than pay for the load of, of issues that happen down the line. So de definitely, and also for the big companies like Google that are self-insured, that have a lot of employees that are now working remotely in their own homes. Well, Google invested in indoor quality, air quality in their own buildings. And now what are they doing that their home, the, the employees that they employ are in their own homes? Now they could be in unproductive and unhealthy environments and they're self-insured. And so the healthcare of that individual falls upon them. And so, again, this is something where a big company could look at putting an IAQ program in place for all of their employees as well. It's, it's a changing of a mindset. I mean, I'm looking around the room. I'm looking at our table. We all have bottled water. We're all drinking what we think is, is good for us. And at the end of the day, how many liters of air do we breathe in every single day? And we're not paying much attention to the quality of that air where we're so super sensitive to the quality of the water we drink. So it is something that um, I believe in time we will become more cognizant of, but it really is education. 95% of the day we're indoors. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, that, that's a good way to end it. Well, thank you guys so much. This this was an awesome conversation and I, I hope you guys listening learned some stuff. Nod in your head. Yeah, perfect. All right, guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. These conversations here are to bring our knowledge up a notch and to really hone our skills and education on this trade in this industry. So indoor air quality is front and center right now. There's a lot of opportunity out there to, to grasp because customers, they're looking to improve their air quality and we as HVAC professionals can do this for our customers, whether it be a commercial building or a home. So Thank you, gentlemen, on the panel. This was a great conversation. Thank you to the Master Group once again. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.